who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I'm Stuart Reed, and I am joined by Chris Tilly. Hello, and <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's, it's just, just me and you. Just me and you. And regular listeners to the podcast will know that whenever it's the two of us, there is an underlying simmering sexual tension. Yes, it could get dirty. It's uh, semi-central in my trousers. Already? Yeah. That's a bloody good start. We'll kick off. We've got loads happening today. We've, um, we've, I went down to interview Alan Moore, the uh, comic book writer, mm. uh, a couple of weeks back. Who famously doesn't give many interviews. He doesn't. Uh, and who also, quite famously, is meant to be really grumpy and quite miserable. Yeah. Fucking lovely bloke. Really? Really lovely bloke. So we'll play that a bit later on. It's about ten minutes long, so look forward to that. Uh, we're going to have a chat about Breaking Bad, of course, because that's ended this week. And I feel bereft, but more yeah. on that in a minute. We'll, we'll leave that till the end if you've not seen it yet yeah. we will go into spoilers good point well made uh, and of course we've got to update you with everything that's happening in the world of movies and games beginning with bad news what Tom Clancy has died that is tragic yeah which is really sad he's only 66 uh, he died earlier this week um, I'm sure everyone out there knows who Tom Clancy is but um, he's an author who uh, created the character Jack Ryan and that's how I know him best mm. Uh, I, th- I think I read Hunt for Red October when I was a kid because the film was coming out. And there's four movies so far have been made from his books. Uh, Hunt for Red October, Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games and The Sum of All Fears. Yeah. All of which are pretty good. Yeah. All of which are good movies. And then obviously he's had a big say in games for the big last kind of 10 gaming. years. Yeah. 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 Lending well. his name to all kinds of... Um, uh, Rainbow Six and all that jazz. Yeah. Splinter Cell. Splinter Cell. I love Splinter Cell. Ghost Recon. Mm. Mm. And I think the games were books as well, I think. There was kind yeah. of a... It's a bit confusing because his name is... I think it, towards the end, though, it, it got to the point where his name was just almost used as like a trademark on the game. You know what I mean? Just a rubber stamp. Yeah. Tom Clancy signed off on this. But listen, that's no bad thing because the worlds he created were really well suited to gaming. You know, for people that like doing all their loadouts and stuff like that, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Mm. Have you ever read any of his books? I can't say I have. No. Favourite of the movies? 
I would say the best of. I think I think so. <laughs> um, I don't know which one's your. I mean, Hundred Red October is. is Hundred Red October is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Clear and Present Danger is really good. I don't think I've seen that all the way through. That's got some good. It's got a brilliant scene at the end where basically Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan yeah. just shouts down the president, and it's just one of those awesome movie moments. Patriot Games is quite dated. Even at the time, I didn't like that one. It's was that? Who was it? Was Brad Pitt in that? No, no, no. he was in The Devil's Own. Oh, right. Uh, Patriot Games, Sean Bean, I think, was the IRA. Yeah. They were both at the same time, and they were both really poor representations of the IRA. <laughs> it was very kind of black and white and, yeah, a bit cringeworthy. Some of All Fears is quite good as well, when that Ben Affleck played yes. him. Yeah. And just t- timing was off this week, but um, they released the trailer and the poster for the new Jack Ryan movie, which is coming out at Christmas, called um, Jack Ryan Shadow One, in which uh, Chris Pine plays Jack Ryan. Good casting. Good casting. I'm not excited by this one, though. Why? Um, it just doesn't look like it's bringing anything new to the table. It's kind of a reboot. It's kind of like an origin story, almost, of how Jack Ryan, the analyst, becomes the operative. Um, and, like, uh, Kevin Costner kind of plays the father figure in it, his kind of handler. Uh, Kenneth Branagh directs and also plays the villain. But it's it's just Kenneth Branagh doing this Russian accent. And I was like, oh... Couldn't you? Could you've got a Russian actor, maybe? Yeah. Or, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem to be terribly exciting. I'm not sure it's going to be a big hit. Kenneth Branagh's career is turning a bit weird, isn't it? Well, he's making a fortune now directing. He's just so. Disney. So obviously, he's come off Thor. He's done Jack Ryan, and now he's directing Cinderella, which is going to be a huge Disney movie. It's going to be so. massive, isn't it? Yeah. So he's doing all right. I just, I don't know. Just hearing him do the uh, the Russian accent was not good to my ears. <laughs> But, um, but talking about um, uh, Tom Clancy's influence, um, there was an announcement this week about 24, uh, the TV show, which I think is very uh, directly kind of influenced by yeah. Jack Ryan and, and Tom Clancy. This is, the, this is 24 that's actually going to be 12 episodes. 24 right? that's 12. Yeah. Yeah. 24 times a half. <laughs> um, they're going to shoot in London. Really? What, Yay! for all of it or just bits of it? I don't know. Let me see, Let me see what it says here. It says, okay. Fox is sending 24 Live Another Day, which is what it's called, mm. uh, across the pond to merry old London, where Jet Bowers, Kiefer Sutherland and company will begin shooting the new tentpole event series. Um, so it doesn't say, I guess, I, guess, I guess most of it will be set in London if it's only 12 episodes. Yeah, merry old London. That's, that was the IGN wording of that news story. <laughs> that, they should be ashamed of themselves for that. That's <laughs> absolutely disgraceful. Can we, can we start referring to everything in the US as a former colony then? <laughs> and see how they like it. I think we are merry here. Do you think so? I feel merry this morning. Well, yes, you do. You look merry. But it'd be good to see Jack Bauer maybe get in the tube in the morning, rush hour on the Northern Line. That'd be a good hour. Well, this was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be two episodes wasted. <laughs> there, there's the opportunity then for, for a good chase scene on the tube because they always work out quite well. The one in, the one in Skyfall is really good. Yeah. And um, even though it's in America, the one in French Connection where, where it ends up uh, on the underground. What about an action scene on the London Eye where he's kind of jumping from... Pod to pod. Pod to pod. That'd be amazing. Where do you think they'll go then? Where do you think, where do you think they'll take it? Well, I'm guessing, I reckon they'll end up around Canary Wharf in that area with all the skyscrapers. Yeah, every action film in London goes there, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll do something with the gherkin. Yeah. I wonder if Boris Johnson will be in it. That'd be hilarious, would be it? good. Come over and have a game of Whiff Waff. <laughs> he could be the villain. <laughs> He'd be a good villain. Because, it, you know, it turns out this bumbling exterior is just that. He's actually, like, got a really razor-sharp criminal mind. Is there something of the Blofeld about him? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's exciting about 24. Uh, I'll tell you what else is happening in the world as well. 
Um, you know that game um, GTA? Heard of it? No, we've not mentioned it. I haven't really, no. Uh, it's I, don't on- think, I don't think Alex talks about it enough. No, he's not mentioned it to me. <laughs> there, there's pr- been problems. You know there's an online component with it where you can play up to 16 of your mates. Mm-hmm. It's not working. Hasn't mm. worked. Launched on Monday. Hasn't worked since, mm. really. So it started off with all sorts of problems. Things like cloud servers not being available, freezes, messages saying waiting for other players, time out errors, all that kind of stuff. And Rockstar, bless them, you know, because they're on a tight budget. They're on a very tight budget. They've been working around the clock to try and fix things. Um, and they're not really getting that far. I think mm. they've still got some major problems. That They've given out some advice yesterday, in fact, saying that you can get into the tutorial race to start with, which should hopefully kind of kickstart everything out, by re-downloading the title update, um, then selecting swap character from the online tab, deleting the character that was unable to get into the tutorial, and trying again a bit later. I just wouldn't bother. I'd go out and have a walk instead. <laughs> go outside and, and experience real life. And they've also decided as well, they've turned off the microtransactions for a time. Because you know that the big thing about it was you could spend money to like pimp yourself up. Mm. Can't do that at the moment. They've turned that off because that's obviously, you know, one of the major issues they've got. They must be losing money then. Massively, I think. Um it's not as if you know, it's not as if it's sold a billion copies or they've made a <laughs> billion dollars in it in the first week or anything, so there seems to be a lot of anger on our forums about this as well. We've seen a lot of, of unhappy feedback from people. <laughs> yeah. Is that fair? I don't know. I don't think it's fair because, you know, GTA Online was quite a late addition to GTA 5. Mm. And I think probably 99% of people would have bought GTA 5 for the story mode alone. So they're kind of complaining that something they're getting for free isn't working at the moment but will be fixed. Also bearing in mind that whenever anything launches like this with an online component, you're virtually guaranteed that it will fail for the first week. Do you remember when um, SimCity came out a few months back? That was an absolute clusterfuck to start with. Is there not a way of these companies, though, like um, leaving launch until they're sure it's, it's, it's up to scratch and ready? It's a scalability thing, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. You could... I don't... I mean, I, I guess you're looking at all sorts of weird kind of, like, server programming and things like that. You've got to know how these huge cloud servers operate. And maybe mm. they can't actually bring them online until the demand is there. And when the demand is there, it's too late to bring them online. Maybe yeah. that's one of the issues they've got. I don't know. Talking about cloud uh, computing and all things like that, obviously the new generation of consoles are all for the cloud. And Microsoft have been talking about the Xbox One and how they've pretty much resigned themselves now to the fact that everybody is going to call it the X-Bone. And here's the hilarious thing. I didn't, I'd not heard that. Had you not? Xbox One, X-Bone. Massive gamer like you, not hearing that. X-Bone. Yeah. Yeah. What are you thinking? No, okay, no, go on, go on. All right, all right. The guy uh, at the Microsoft Studios head, Phil Spencer, has said that he doesn't think the company will be embracing the moniker for advertising campaigns. No No. shit. Uh, But he says what's bugged him the most is that he didn't see it. He said, I've been looking at the name Xbox One for months. I wasn't clever enough to merge them and come up with Xbone. Well, you shouldn't be in charge of a fucking studio, mate, if you didn't even see that. You're working with it every day and you don't see the fact you can shorten it to Xbone. Maybe he's dyslexic. I feel bad now. So if you really like a game on the system, would you get an Xboner? Probably. There you go. You can 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 have that one. Thanks very much. He's also said, uh, I don't think you'll see us running ads that say Xbone, but at the same time, Microsoft have just bought the Xbone.com domain. (laughs) So there you go. That's what you call hedging your bets. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Also, just a thing that popped up online today, which I was very impressed by, is a new opening to The Simpsons. Um, Guillermo del Toro has directed oh, really? the opening sequence. You know, they kind of have the couch gag every episode. Yeah. Well, this is a, a two and a half minute couch gag, pretty mm. much. Okay, well, go, what happens? Uh, it's basically a tour of um, horror movies with all the characters and the opening credits kind of interlinking with all his films are in there. Uh, so you've got Blade and Hellboy, but also some of the classics, uh, Devil's Backbone, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, what was the first? Kronos. Kronos, Kronos is in is there as well. Great. Kronos pops up in there. Um, as well as that, there's little um, tributes to some of the, the greatest names in horror. So Stephen King appears in it, as do a lot of his films. Um, Edgar Allan Poe, Ray Harryhausen, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Wow. There's a good bird's gag in it. All the universal picture monsters pop up. <laughs> it's, a, it's brilliant. It's, so, it's best thing Simpsons has done in ages. Is that the longest opening they've had then, two and a half minutes? Because the Banksy one's pretty long, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the longest one, hmm. but it's for the the new Treehouse of Terror, which screens in the States on Sunday. I guess we get it maybe this Sunday or next Sunday. That's probably the only time it's still worth watching The Simpsons when it's Treehouse of Terror, isn't it? I suppose so. Yeah. What's, I'm looking forward to the new Toy Story um, Halloween episode that's coming out as well. That's airing, I think, Disney Channel or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Disney uh, Toy Story Halloween. Cool. It's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I love Halloween. Don't you, mate? I do, I do. I want to do one year, and I'm thinking about this year. I want to do it in LA. Really? Because Americans do Halloween better than us. Yeah. Actually, listeners, tell us about, if you're American, tell us about your Halloween. Because we didn't do Halloween very well when we, when we were youngsters. Not when we were too. kids, no. It's become... But we still had rationing, that was the problem. <laughs> it's snowballed, though, hasn't it? Like, every year yeah. it seems to be a bit bigger a bit than bigger. the year before. Mm-hmm. And the country, the last ten years, I think, we've really embraced it. But it wasn't a huge thing in the 80s. Do you know, I trace it back to E.T. I yeah. think that's when it all started. Because trick-or-treating is so big in that film. It's quite a major component of that movie. It's movie, movies, really. Have, yeah. and, and the movie Halloween, like, it's films that have, and, you know, Scream and things like that. It's films that have, have taught us about Halloween. Yeah. And that's when we've kind of... It's awesome now, though. It's cool, because it's... In a way, it's the start of the festive season, isn't yeah. it? You think, right, Halloween, it's just party time now, all the way up until January 1st. Lots of good parties around Halloween. Yeah, that's true. Lots of hot chicks. Hmm. <laughs> Speaking of hot chicks, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. <laughs> so, so why Alan, don't you trail this a little bit, Stu? Because I don't yeah. know what I'm about to listen to. Alan Moore uh, has got a new book out called. <laughs> oh dear! Brilliant! Oh Brilliant. no! I know this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm gonna have to pause it here because I can't fucking remember the name of it. Why can't I remember the name of it? Well, why don't, why don't you talk about him while I look it up on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> I went down to interview him about this fantastic comic book called Something Beast Beauty Beast, I think it's called. Have you read it? Yeah, I read it. That's the embarrassing thing. I read it and absolutely loved it. And it's all about, it's, it's a riff on the beauty and the beast uh, story. But it's set in this, as you know, all Alan Moore books are pretty much, this kind of dystopian future world where there's uh, been a nuclear war. And the only thing that is left it really, that people can pin their hopes on. Go on. You've Are you talking it. about the book Fashion Beast? Fashion Beast. <laughs> Writes down Fashion Beast. Which is not beast. Beauty Beast. No, it's Fashion Beast. Thank you for that, Chris. Yeah. Uh, so he's really, it, this is the way it started. Back in the early 80s, before Watchmen was even finished, uh, Malcolm McLaren, erstwhile manager of the Sex Pistols and New York Dolls, and, you know, interesting guy, uh, approached this kid in a comic shop and said, I want somebody to make a film... Who's the best comic book writer you know out there? And this kid said, Alan Moore. Fair enough. So Malcolm McLaren met up with Alan Moore, pitched him these three ideas. 
and Alan Moore was most taken by the Fashion Beast one. And so they wrote a script together, and as a lot of these things, a lot of times this happens, it didn't go anywhere. It just, it just sat in a drawer, forgotten about. They couldn't get the funding or whatever. And then a few years ago, uh, this script for this movie was found, and Alan Moore was approached and said, you know, would you mind if we got this script and turned it into a comic book? And he said, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, and that's what's happened. And the book is out now, and it's a really, really interesting comic book. It's, it's a really romantic story, mm. which I think is quite unusual for Alan Moore's stuff. Uh, and I began uh, by asking him how he got involved working with Malcolm McLaren. Malcolm had got a good... He'd got his ear to the ground, and he knew that there was some interesting stuff starting to emerge in comics. He thought that this might translate to cinema... So he went down to this comic shop in St. Mark's Place and as he told me, he, he went up to the coolest looking little black kid uh, in the shop, the best dressed 13 year old in the shop and said, who's the best writer in comics? And this kid said, Alan Moore, left-handed God. Um, yeah, I, I probably want that on my tombstone. Actually, make a note of that, William. Yeah, sort yeah. Of, uh, yeah, so he phoned up, uh, I was, Kind of rather rather pleased because I had, um, despite having lampooned Malcolm McLaren during my brief career as a cartoonist in the music press, I had got a great deal of admiration for the man. Um, I don't know whether it really was Malcolm who invented punk, as he insisted, but he'd certainly got as big a claim to that as anybody else. I liked his style, I liked the subversive aspects of what he was doing and he, he seemed to be doing it very effectively so yeah I was delighted to meet with him and he gave me the outlines of these three potential films of which by far the best one to me was this merger of the Beauty and the Beast fable with the life of Christian Deal. At the time obviously you were writing it for the screen mm. is it much different writing for the screen than it is writing it for a comic book. It's completely different. Right. People do not actually understand this. I mean, the great comic artist and comic theorist, Will Eisner, once said that uh, yeah, to be a good comic writer or a good comic artist, it is advisable to understand cinema. Uh, Will Eisner himself had seen Citizen Kane something like 35 times, and he was bringing that sensibility to his work, and it was usually influential. Now, while agreeing with Will Eisner that a comic book writer or artist who understands cinematic techniques will be better than one who doesn't, I'd say that if you only think of comics in terms of cinema, then all that comics can be is a form of silent cinema that doesn't move. It's always going to be a poor relation. Much better to think of those things that only comics can do, that are unique to that medium, focus upon them. That was my strategy while I was writing Watchmen, while I was writing V for Vendetta. Pretty much all of my stuff suited to the medium because cinema and comics, they have some superficial similarities, but they're very, very different. So when you're writing for film, you are aware that there are no discrete moments uh, in the way that there are in a comic. It's a series of panels. They're a series of moments with the reader's mind filling in the gaps between them. That's not a film. It's all about movement, and there is the element of sound. You're, you have to be constantly aware of all of these things, or you're not going to get the best out of um, the cinema. 
So I wasn't sure when William suggested that uh, he'd found the screenplay at a fashion beast. He thought it could maybe be adapted into a comic. I wasn't sure. Um, I have been famously um, annoyed at uh, people adapting things that were only meant as comics into films. Um, this is because there are effects that I was getting in the comics that cannot be duplicated. The best realisation of that was as a comic. Now, I thought about that when William suggested doing an adaptation from a film screenplay into a comic, and I thought, actually, it doesn't sound like it would do as much violence to the concept that way round. Um, if the adapter, Anthony Johnson, who has adapted my work before and is really, really good at it, if he is sharp enough to make those transitions where they need to be made, um, then there's no reason why this shouldn't work as a comic. So I told William to go ahead um, and I would just sit there in idle luxury uh, without doing any work and waiting to see what it looked like. And uh, yeah, the, um, the, the finished result, I think, bears out the decision that it works very, very well as a comic, perhaps better than it would have done as a film. But it's interesting because it is still exceptionally filmic and the description of the two main characters in this, which Malcolm wanted a boy that looked like a girl that looked like a boy. And, and vice versa. And vice yeah. versa, yeah. yeah. Those are illustrated perfectly in this. Okay. Well, my, my wife, Melinda, reading it, she was saying, so, hang on, uh, this is a boy in, this, in the dress? And I said, no, no, it's a girl who looks like a boy who looks like a girl. And she said, right, so is this, is this a girl? I said, no, no, that, that's a boy who looks like a girl who looks like a boy. But what's great is that confusion remains for the first few pages of the book. You're not entirely sure yourself for some time, are you? That's it. In fact, I don't think it's until uh, Doll's breast yes. is revealed just after she's been beaten up. Yeah. And the, the boy character says, oh, you're a girl. And then later, uh, Doll is surprised when she finds out that he's a boy. It's, um, yeah, it, I was playing to Malcolm's request, but I thought there's a way that I can make this interesting and kind of funny and, you know, sort of intriguing. But there's a wonderful section in the book where they are in the salon and they're having a fight. And in the paint. In the paint. And the language is all sexual. Yeah. It's violent language, but it's all sexual. I was absolutely convinced when I turned the page they would be making out. That was the feeling you were meant to have. And it works brilliantly. That is great. And, and that would have looked good in a film. Yeah. I mean, you can see why I'd written that because I was thinking, a film, colour. Yeah, let's have a load of coloured paint yeah. all over the floor and they're rolling in it and fighting and swearing at each other. And that would be really horny. Um, yeah, yeah. There, were different, there were different approaches to sexuality in this. I mean, one of my favourite scenes, upon reading it again, is the reverse striptease, where um, you've got dolls starting out naked. And, and it's not really sexual. Mm. She's just a woman, a model, doing her job. And he dresses her, and you can tell that the more clothing he puts on, the more intensely erotic it's becoming until she's almost passing out from the, just the bliss of it. Yeah. And then he sets the little black hat with a black veil. 
and you realise that there's a different note in play. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is great stuff. Um, and like I say, there is more of there is more of my vision and Malcolm's vision in that comic than there would have been in a film. The other thing that caught my eye in the book as well, it didn't. It, it, it's about celebrity as well. It's it, you've you've really kind of caught the X Factor generation a good 15, 20 years before X Factor even existed. Yeah, it's. One of the most depressing things about my career is that I'm generally right. And I have got a really gloomy, pessimistic streak in most of my writing, and then it turns out to be right. And, um, yeah, the security cameras in V for Vendetta that were going to be existing by 1997, and then Tony Blair got in in 1997 and introduced all this. You sometimes wonder whether the political leaders of the world are actually, they're, they're really big comic fans, and that uh, my dopey comic book ideas are perhaps actually shaping the political future of the globe. I mean, that's a terrifying thought. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah, you know, but maybe if I wrote things where things ended happily and nicely and everybody was safe and well and cheerful, perhaps that would happen. Would you, like, would you want to do that? Then? No, no, <laughs> really. there's, there's no money in it. You know? <laughs> uh, so we talked about the fact that this was a film and now it's a comic book. Uh, would you like to see it made into a film now? Uh, it would have a certain perverse closing of the circle about it, wouldn't it? Um, I don't know. Like I was just saying, I think that this is possibly unexpectedly, but I think possibly this is the perfect expression of fashion beast. Uh, that as it turns out, perhaps its perfect expression is as a comic book. If there was um, the, the right people that I was prepared to work with, and there's probably about three people in the entire movie industry who are in that actual um, that group, uh, I would be prepared at least to consider it right. because this wouldn't be like adapting a comic that was meant purely as a comic to the screen just as a franchise, just as something to generate more money. This would be writing something that was actually written as a film and then adapting that mm. to the screen, which would seem to do less violence to the actual concept than the other way around. So I would be prepared to consider it but I kind of think that that right there is perhaps the perfect expression of the story. Tell you what, they're not a movie. How about a stage musical? That could work. Actually, yeah, there's something, there's something a bit odd and artificial about musicals in that everybody bursts into song. If you could get around that, if they were good enough songs, if we were talking Stephen Sondheim here, uh, somebody with enough humour and darkness to handle them correctly, maybe it could work. Okay. And uh, yeah, that would probably be more fitted to the subject matter, wouldn't it? So there you go. Really nice bloke, as I said.
Really interesting guy. Not at all curmudgeonly like he's made out to be. No. Because I think when, when you're talking to him about something that he's really engaged with, he just he's, he's really happy to be talking about it. I think all the grumpiness comes out of the film stuff, isn't it? I think sick and tired of people asking about the movies of his, of his books. Yeah, but I mean, he was quite open about it there. Yeah. You know, he's, he was happy to talk about the fact that he, he, you know, he's been treated so badly by, by the film world. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, do you know what he said once the, the mic was switched off as well? He looked at me for a moment and he said, do you know what? You really remind me of a bearded Stuart Lee. <laughs> Which is quite a compliment. Yeah, lovely yeah. stuff. Okay, so uh, Fashion Beast, out now. Um, go and get yourself a copy. Yeah. You, go and get yourself a copy. Now, let's talk about the big, big news of the week. Because Breaking Bad finished. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it now. So if you haven't seen the last episode of Breaking Bad, Walt dies. <laughs> Is that a giveaway? Is that a giveaway? <laughs> I like what you've done there. Thanks very much. Uh, what did you think, Stu? I, uh, I thought the last episode was absolutely superb. You've got it's it, the way it wrapped up. Almost every loose end in that last hour of television was was a masterpiece in in tight plotting, and especially when you consider that Vince Gilligan throughout the five seasons has kind of held his hands up and said kind of make it up as I go along, really. Yeah. I don't really know what's going to happen. Going to kill Jesse? Not going to kill Jesse. No neo-Nazis? There's neo-Nazis. He even said at the start of this season, season five, uh, when Walt, when there's a flash forward and Walt lifts the boot of his car and there's the M60 in there, he said, you know, don't know how, don't know how we're going to get that in. Don't know what's going to happen with that. Yeah. We haven't written it yet. And the way, it's almost audacious, the way that whole storyline plots out during yeah. the last six episodes. No, it's episodes. fantastic. I had a good um, podcast he was on the other day, him and a few other writers of other shows, but they were talking about how they can make themselves look cleverer than they are. Because mm. we've got a lot of time to do this, so we can go back and rewatch episode one, two, and three and put lots of things in the final three episodes to make it look like we've planned all this, yeah. when really we haven't. But... Um, yeah, it did, it did. Although I think um, Bex, one of our colleagues, Bex, was pointing out to me that Saul's Saul's bodyguard. They told him to just wait. Yeah. In a, he he's still waiting. He's still waiting. <laughs> Bex is worried that he's going to die of hunger. That's going to be some time before that happens. I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, not... he's not going to do too badly there. So yeah, do you think it? I mean, do you think it went out with a bang? Mm. Big enough bang? I think it went out absolutely perfectly. I couldn't see any other ending because mm. there's uh, there's a hint of redemption for Walter White. Mm. Even though he is, he's almost com completely consumed by the Heisenberg character, in the same way that his cancer has almost completely consumed him, mm. there is just that hint of redemption right at the end when he saves Jesse. Uh, and, and when he, he gives uh, Skylar the, the piece of paper with the position of where the bodies are buried, mm. he's trying to make things better. He can never make things right again because Walt Jr. is going to grow up without a dad. You know, the family has been split asunder, but he's trying to make things as good as they can possibly be. Mm. What do you think? I thought it was good without being amazing. Mm. I was hoping it was going to be one of those episodes that just made me, was kind of jaw-dropping. Mm. And it wasn't quite that. But I don't really have a problem with that because there's been enough of those along the way. Um... I just kind of was expecting something to really blow my mind, but it was very fitting. Mm. I thought it was a very good ending. And it's kind of, I think what's going to stay with me is that image of Jesse driving off, kind of screaming. Terrifying. It's haunting. Yeah. I think he's the character we all kind of fought, fell in love with in that show. Mm. Um, and just to think what's going to happen to him next is quite disturbing, really. It's not going to be, I can't see it being a happy ending for him. No way. No way. Not I after mean, what he's gone through. 
destroyed everything that he loves and he's just left with nothing and mm. he wanted to kill Walter but he couldn't bring himself to do it and it's just I, f- I found that really haunting image I love the fact that when it comes to, to Walter White giving him the, the gun and saying come on Jesse kill me uh, and because and Jesse's saying tell me you want me to kill you and because that's what he wants Jesse can finally finally say no I'm not going to do what you want me to do anymore yeah I thought that was awesome that was yeah. That was, really that, was, that was his moment of salvation. And it was nice that so... I thought it was really clever that so many of the scenes in the episode had a twist. Mm. I mean, a couple of them you could see coming, but nevertheless, like, it was, it was very clever the way he kind of was hiding stuff from you, literally yeah. and metaphorically, through, throughout that episode. Well, it, he's been likened to being a ghost in that episode, Walter White, because ah. he, the, way, the way he... Sixth Sense style. Yeah, he, yeah, he kind of... The way he appears in shots, just a slight camera movement, and suddenly he's there, and the way he can kind of seem to appear in places quite easily, mm. it is, it's like he's haunting all these people. The, the, the scene at the start with his ex, you know, his, his colleagues from, from his original business, whose names I forget, yeah. where I, I thought that was just brilliantly done. Like the whole, because everything is just that massive, massive bluff leading up to the fact that it's just yeah. laser pens being pointed <laughs> at them. That was such a clever, smart thing to do. Because you're not sure at no, all. You're not no. sure because you know, as Heisenberg, he probably could have got hitmen out yeah, yeah. for a couple of hundred well he was trying to find hitmen wasn't he yes. he was trying to find them to bump off the neo-nazis so yeah. you're kind of led to believe oh he's got them and then they're going to go and get Jesse but no it's those two idiots <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it was the perfect ending really yeah it really was um, best TV show ever right now I'd have, probably have to say yes mm. I'm still really enjoying Game of Thrones and when that comes back I'll probably say Game of Thrones is the best TV show mm. ever but the, the fact that it's this coherent whole and it's like 68 episodes and that's all there is and that's all there's ever going to be and there's mm. no chance of resurrecting him or anything like that. I know we've got the Better Call Saul prequel coming. Mm. I don't even know if I'm going to watch that. I think, I think we all will because we'll, we'll, we'll be missing Breaking Bad so much by then that it'll give us a little bit of that feeling. And then it's up to them whether they make it good or not. You know, it's, mm. But I think we'll, we'll all just want to have a dip our toe in that pond again. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll probably go back and rewatch this at some point as well because mm. I think there's there's a lot that would make not make more sense, but a lot that will become more more clear if you watch it a second time around, knowing yeah. how part A fits into slot B. I'm also interested in in maybe watching the Spanish remake, <laughs> which has just been picked up by Sony. I think they they're calling it Metastasis or something like that. It's okay, a, it's a kind of cancer term. Um, but that's good, yeah, Spanish language one. It'd yeah. be interesting to see who plays uh, Walter White or whatever he's called in Spanish. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe nose that out when, be it's, good when it's on. Be good to get the reader thoughts on what they thought of uh, the finale and whether that, uh, does anyone out there think it's the greatest TV show of all time or is it, is it too soon? Is it too soon? Is it overrated? I'd love to hear from somebody that doesn't get... Tommy Butler. Tommy Butler doesn't get it. He's, he's nearly finished season four and he's saying, I don't think it's that it's good as you're, you're all saying. He was, moaning, he was moaning that he didn't think there were any likeable characters. And I'm like, well, hold on. There's a good couple that are quite like. There's lots of likeable characters in it. I think so. Just because you know, your protagonist has become the antagonist. I think there's likeable characters put in unlikable situations. Yeah. That's one of the problems. But, you know, the, between season four and season five, I think a lot of characters grow quite dramatically. Mm. Uh, even Marie, who was always a bit of a spare part in that show, mm. a bit wacky, a yeah. bit kooky. You know, she, her, she finally gets her moment to shine in season five. 
Skylar gets a lot of hate from forums and things like that and a lot of hatred from the fans for being a bitch. She's not being a bitch. She's just trying to keep her world together. She's trying to keep her family together. She's trying to keep her, her kids alive. Yeah, yeah. And I think her, her, her journey in season five is, is magnificent. Yeah. Really good. That's ridiculous, the mm. Skylar hatred. But yeah, what's the, what's the email address against you? It's the easy to remember IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Nice stuff. Thanks. Right, should we have some feedback? Yeah, let's see what's happening. I've got the first bit. By the way, I wasn't on last week. I hope I'm not repeating anything. Tell, stop me halfway through if I'm repeating something. I wasn't on last week. Okay, apologies. We're driving blind. <laughs> uh, and, I've, and of course, we normally listen to it, but we didn't listen to last week. <laughs> um, this is from Adrian P. Uh, he says, hello from Canada. Hello. Uh, first of all, I love the podcast and congrats on getting to and beyond 200. Yeah. Thank you, Adrian. Cheers. Um, he says, I've constantly heard you, particularly Stu, mm. uh, put down Zack Snyder, and I feel it's completely unwarranted. Dawn of the Dead, a great modern remake of the Romero classic. Mm-hmm. 300, a fun action movie. Mm. Watchmen, it was arguably the best possible adaptation of the graphic novel. Mm. Legends of the Guardian, a badass 3D animated kids film. Sucker Punch, probably his worst work, but Stu enjoyed it! Exclamation mark. Uh, Man of Steel, the Superman movie we needed after that thing from 2006. I don't understand why people are always saying Zack Snyder is a bad director. I think he's great as an action director. Why are people so against Zack Snyder? Why, Stu? Why? Why? (laughs) Do you know what? I actually think Zack Snyder is is a good art director. Mm. I think he's very good at mise-en-scene and all that kind of bollocks. I don't actually think he's a particularly good director of, 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 of humanity. You know, I don't think he can, he can really get emotion across very well. He's very good at punching somebody or, or showing somebody being punched uh, across an entire floor or whatever. But mm. apart from that, no, I don't get it. And, I, and, and, you know, there you go. I just don't, I don't get it. And I don't think Superman was a particularly good movie. Man of Steel was a good movie. I don't think 300 was a good movie. I think it's, you know, just... Well, we've, uh, it's, it's an opinion thing, isn't it? I, I didn't really like 300. I really like Man of Steel. And I thought some of the early stuff when Clark was a kid, I thought he really did get to the bottom of the humanity of that character. Okay. I, really, I really felt some of that. Uh, Watchmen is okay. I haven't seen Legend of the Guardian. Sucker Punch I didn't like. And Dawn of the Dead, I think, is great. Dawn of the Dead is good. It's a really good movie. Yeah. I almost would quite like him to go back and do something like that, quite a simple action horror, without yeah. all the bells and whistles and the $200 million. I don't think it would hurt any director to go back and shoot a movie like that after they've done a couple of big budget ones. Yeah. Because I think, you know, you can get, you can get so far removed from what makes... A good film, a good film. Yeah. When you've got all this catch sloshing about. i tell you who I think did the best version of that uh, was Sam Raimi when he dragged me to hell. Mm. He did three Spider-Man movies. The third one didn't really work. And then he went and just did a low-budget horror movie and it was fantastic. Really good movie. And he took everything he'd learnt on those big movies and put it into a small movie. Yeah. And I think it's deeply underrated horror, that one. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a good one. If you haven't seen it, check it out for Halloween. Why not? Mm. Uh, hello, says David Kidder from Fargo in North Dakota. And he says, yes, it is the Fargo from the movie. I've written in twice before and both times Thomas said, that's not the Fargo from the movie, though. <laughs> that's my Tom impression. It's not very good. I'm What's a- it like in Fargo? Probably cold. Well, I'm asking him. Oh, right. Well, he can't reply because he's, this is a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But maybe you can let us know next week what yeah. it's like in Fargo. He says, my favourite American football team, the Minnesota Vikings, are playing at Wembley Stadium this Sunday. That was last Sunday, by the way. Our favourite, last Sunday. Our quarterback, Christian Ponder, is terrible. If you, or Vinnie Jones, or Jason Statham, or one or more of the Green Street hooligans could hinder his return to America, you'll be handsomely rewarded if you ever visit Fargo, North Dakota. Well, a bit late for that, but I hope, uh, uh, I hope they won. Who were they playing? They were playing... 
Didn't say, just the Minnesota Vikings playing was at Wembley it, was Stadium. Was it the 29th of the 9th? Yes. Uh, they won. They won... Tw- uh, I think... Oh, no, maybe they lost. Do you know how American football works? I how find this confusing. Yeah? The score was 27-34. I'm just not sure who got the 27. Who got okay. The, I think they might have lost. How did Christian Ponder do? Uh, <laughs> that I don't know. All right. Um, I, could look, I meant to look this up before. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Uh, can you ask him if he's got a wood chipper? Why don't you ask him? What's his name again? Uh, Dave Kidder. Hi, Dave. Um, have you got a wood chipper? Cool. Right, next piece of um, <laughs> feedback. This is from Greg Wright. He says, Dear crew, while watching episode 200, good laugh, by the way. Thanks. Um, <laughs> a question was asked about which old franchises people would like to see on Next Gen. Yeah. The answers given were not to Alex's liking. <laughs> Nothing is these days. <laughs> uh, while GTA 5 is on most people's mind, Alex seems to mainly think that the Next Gen means huge open world games. Two of the games named, Speedball 2 and Dungeon Master, definitely deserve remake. remakes being utter classics from the Amiga age. Mm. Agree. Um, I would also like to see more remakes of Bitmap Brother games, Xenon 2 and Gods bring to mind. Mm. And for RPGs, I would like to also see um, Eye of the Beholder. Never played it. I played that. It was Did good. You? It was yeah. good. It was quite scary. Um, sorry, I'm not reading this very well. Apologies, Greg. Um, additionally, I seem to be developing a man crush for Stuart. He likes Speedball 2, Hobo Humpin' Slobo Babe by Whale, and randomly tweets old bird's eye adverts. Don't panic, though. It's only fun. I'm far too lazy to stalk him. Oh. Probably. Oh, there's hope yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's some good ones there. Xenon 2's a classic. Yeah, for sure. All the Bitmap Brothers stuff, I think, would, yeah. would just look really good on next what year. What happened to them? Probably made a potload of cash and fucked off somewhere. Changed the name. Did they become the Chemical Brothers? It's quite possible, isn't it? That would be cool. Yeah. Imagine if they were the same... They'd have a good soundtrack for the next game. Yeah. Brad Main's written in, Hey guys, I was wondering if you think eventual DLC for games like The Last of Us and GTA will also be available on next gen. It seems like a lot of people's current consoles are on their last life or will be traded in for next gen. Obviously, these games won't necessarily be on next gen, but could the DLC be standalone? That's from Brad Main in Australia. Uh, I don't know. Is that it? Yep. Okay. Uh, This is from Dave Bidmore. He says, after watching a crazy amount of Games Master in the last week or so, Mm. featuring IGN's very own Alex Simmons. The graphics are amazing. (laughs) I was wondering if you guys and girls, now that you've moved to a new office, would ever consider making a monthly IGN YouTube show in the same formula, where you could have celebrity guests and members of the IGN community come in and battle it out on old and new games and have reviews, news and features by the IGN staff. With the likes of Stu, Alex and Butler, etc., so, not me. Thanks a lot for that. Um, I think you could produce an entertaining show that could match the wits and innuendos of Dominic Diamond and wouldn't talk down to the audience. Thoughts? I like it. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah, I like it. I don't like the fact that I didn't get a mention there. What's with that? Why did Butler get a mention before me? I don't know. You'd be a really good warm-up man for the show. I, I'm an, I'm an etc. Um, yeah, you know what? It's something we've been talking about. Yeah. You know, we're... we're um, we're trying to figure out what to do with this studio at the moment. Which we're in. We're actually in the gallery. Today we're broadcasting from the gallery area, which is like absolutely stuffed full of really expensive equipment, which I haven't learned how to use yet. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, we are open to ideas as well. If people want to write, write in with suggestions yeah. of, of videos they'd like to see on the site. But yeah, some kind of, some kind of show like that is definitely mm. something we're thinking about. I like getting an audience in. I liked it for Podcast 200. Yep. Uh, and I think we should get an audience in more regularly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, I'm, I'm working on trying to get more kind of uh, film people in to do Q and A's with 
with our audience coming in. Cool. Trying to work, trying to get, um, maybe Edgar Wright might be coming in soon. That'd be get nice. some people in, but yeah, maybe let us know who you'd like to have come in as well and yeah. talk to you. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN. Doncom. Doncom. <laughs> my voice don't know uh, David Trevino a listener asked about your favourite game or toy on your last podcast and as a follow up what is the most expensive toy or piece of gaming art you've ever bought I ask because I want to justify buying myself something myself once I hear how much you all spend thanks um, most expensive toy or piece of gaming art well I don't know I've never really spent a lot of money on gaming stuff or toys but I did up until a couple of years back, have a stupidly expensive hobby, which was collecting film prints, actual cinema film prints. Mm. Um, and they, they could go for outrageous amounts of money. You know, if you were looking at, like, proper original Technicolor prints from the 1940s and 50s and 60s, you could pay thousands and thousands of pounds for one. Because they're, you know, not exactly unique, but there are very few of them left in the world that haven't been torn to bits through, through badly... Uh, Badly maintained film projectors. Mm. So, yeah, I had quite a collection. I had all sorts of really cool old Ealing comedies and uh, big cinemascope productions and all sorts of things. So that was, that was a really... That's probably the most money I've ever spent on something. <clears throat> I spent something like 600 quid on a print of Dirty Dancing. That's that was, weird. That was to impress my girlfriend. At the right, time. okay. I, <laughs> Did it work? Yeah. She's now my, my, my partner and we have a child together. Did you, did you do the lift? Uh, I've never actually managed to successfully yes. do the list. So Ryan Gosling. Well, she stupid. keeps dropping me. <laughs> Very good. What about you? Have you ever spent any stupid money no, on time? Just, not, just Crystal really. Palace season tickets? Yeah, that's no, that's it. what I was going to say. I yeah. spend it on football. It's a lot of money going to football um, every week. You know, got, I've got a reasonably nice telly, which I bought five years ago. That's probably the most I've spent on anything. Mm. And then just hookers and coke. And you waste the rest. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I got an email from Edward Sweet. Oh, I like this one. You're going to like this one, Stuart. Okay. Hi guys, my name is Edward and I absolutely love your podcast and I thought you did a fantastic job with Podcast 200. Very Thank sweet. you, Edward. Thank you. I don't know really read those bits out, but that's... I think we need... Nice feedback this week. We need affirmation, Chris. Yeah. yeah. Um, Edward says, a new IMAX cinema recently opened up near where I live and they're bringing some films back to the cinema that weren't in IMAX at the time they were released in that cinema. I really want to see all of the films, but I only have enough money for one film. The list of films goes as follows. I think we did do this last week, you know. <laughs> I think we did. And I think we decided on... Is, is Avatar amongst that? Yep. Yeah. Tell yeah. us if you've gone to see it. Did you decide on Avatar? Yeah. I would have said Life of Pi. Really? Yeah, I, I thought Life of Pi was wicked. Wicked? What am I? <laughs> 13? <laughs> um, Chris, Chris Tilly, IGN Entertainment Editor. <laughs> this film's wicked on the poster. I just thought Avatar, I don't know. It's just, I forgot about Avatar as soon as I walked out. Oh, yeah, I couldn't tell you a single thing that happens in Avatar. Not a thing. And actually, Prometheus looks amazing, but it's just an annoying film. Fucking boring. Life of Pi is the most satisfying out of them. So we've finished on a bloody email that we've done before. Yeah, well, here's one we haven't done. Okay. All right, this is from Cameron Poole. He says, hi, guys. You've probably noticed, but have you seen the marking that resembles the Illuminati eye above the Mount Chiliad sketch on the cable cart wall in GTA 5? It's directly below the wooden surface of where you can view the telescopes. Not only have we seen it, Cameron, but it is mentioned in uh, the new episode of You and IGN, which is uh, going up today. Today. You love that name, don't you? You and IGN. You and IGN. Mm. Uh, it's uh, episode two of our, of our GTA weekly show, so check it out on the site. It should be up there now. Uh, and that is pretty much it, I think. We... Yeah, we normally say what's out this week, but I forgot to do that. That's fine. Uh, do you know any games that are out this week? No. 
Okay, I can tell you the films because yeah. I think it's actually worth talking about. Well, then I'm, I'm quite confused because I'm in the midst of my, my filth review, and yet my the website I'm on is telling me that filth came out last week. It did in Scotland. Ah, that's what happened. Yeah. So filth is out this week for the rest of the UK, and it's bloody brilliant. It's one of the best films I've seen this year. If you like train spotting, if you like Irvine Welsh, if you like James McAvoy, if you like swearing and drugs and sex and horrible things happening at Christmas time, <laughs> watch it. <laughs> It is perfect film. It is absolutely brilliant, but don't go if you're easily shocked. Right. Um, There's some other stuff out this week. So we have um, How I Live Now, new Kevin MacDonald film. That's with Cerise Ronan, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Based Um, on a kind of teens book. Yeah, I watched it this week. It's 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 okay. It's very serious. Um, It's it's quite a tough watch. It felt more like a film for girls than boys. I don't know if I'm being sexist by saying that. Okay. Um, not in a bad way, but um, yeah, it's very much kind of, it's a very dark romance, but worth checking out. But maybe I might wait for the Blu-ray of that one. Okay. Um, Sunshine on Leith is out, which I really wanted to see because I like The Proclaimers and Dexter Fletcher directed it and his movie, Wild Bill, was one of my favourite films it, of last year. Yeah, yeah, one of my favourite films of last year. This is a musical based on the music, the music of The Proclaimers, which is just weird. But the Proclaimers are awesome. Yeah, they are. They they're really good songwriters. Yeah. They're good singers. I think they get a bad press. Just because it's because of one song, really. I think. Yeah, it? because of what and because of the way they look. I think. Yeah, they've got the same surname as me. I do wonder if we're related. Craig oh, and Charlie Reed. Yeah. Uh, the to-do list is out, which is supposed to be quite funny. Christmas Plus is in that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and Aubrey Plaza, I fancy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Metallica Through the Never, which I reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Now that's an IMAX, isn't it? That's an IMAX It is. Concert. IMAX 3D. Yeah. Uh, pretty awesome, the 3D, actually. Right. Uh, the live stuff is, you know, I'm, I'm never sure what I think about uh, concert movies. I'll just be at the mm. concert. Yeah. Um, and, but this one, they try to do something different by, by adding a narrative to it. So half the movie, it's, it's an actual film uh, where you're following this, this um, roadie's journey into hell. Um, outside of the, the gig venue, uh, all the while uh, Metallica are playing. So it's an interesting... Con- it doesn't really work, but I think it's quite cool that they've tried something different. Mm. Uh, it looks amazing. and But to, for me, the best bit in the whole movie is when they don't have any of the effects, any of the movie, um, and it's just filming them singing Nothing Else Matters live, uh, which that's one of my favourite songs of theirs anyway. But there's nothing more than just the band playing, and it, it's awesome. Right. So it's, it made me think, well, maybe the whole film should have been like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. But yes, yeah, so some good films out this week. I still fancy going, I'd rather sit down and watch some kind of monster again, I think. Because yeah. I think if you're going to watch one Metallica movie, that's the one you should watch, because yeah. it's just jaw-dropping. Yeah, Spinal Tap brought to life. It really is, yeah, yeah. 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 I still haven't bothered looking down to see what games are out this week. It's all right. Have a look on the site. Google it. Yeah. Google it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> on which bombshell IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com if you want to uh, email us about anything and apologies if we read your email out twice but you should be you should be proud of that man you've made two IGN podcasts that's pretty good going uh, and that's it thanks you thanks to Chris Tilly for joining me I wonder if we'll have more people next week yeah I can't be bothered next week if the rest of them can't <laughs> just be myself well, and do tell us if you like it this way because we could we can just going forward just have me and Stu do this I'd love that yeah, yeah. me too could be throwing some tunes in the middle of it mate uh, d- a lot of great work for charity mate <laughs> we'll see you next week goodbye bye Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? 
Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah. I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy, or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.